going to take our authorized 1611 King James 4th edition Bibles and we're going to turn over to the Gospel of Mark chapter 12. Good to have uh, our guest with us this morning. Good to have Dan and Abby all the way from, uh, well, next door to Cincinnati, Ohio. And so we want to say welcome to the Cabals. Thank you for being with us this morning. I mean the Cahills. Um, <clears throat> the Cahills. Anyway, let's stand as we give reverence to the reading of God's Word. Last week we talked about how they wanted to cancel out Jesus Christ. And uh, we got a little, I got a little carried away on canceled uh, doctrine. And we want to move on forward this morning. We'll see what else I can pick out of this message. <laughs> Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning with verse number 1. Uh, Jesus now begins to speak to Israel in parabolic uh, message. And we begin reading in verse number 1, and you can follow silently down to verse number 12. We'll pray, and then you can be seated. And he began to speak unto them by parables. And the parable went something like this. A certain man planted a vineyard and set it a hedge about it, digged a place for the wine fat, and built a tower and led it out to the husbandman and went into a far country. And at this season he sent to the husbandman a servant that he might receive from the husbandman's of the fruit of the vineyard. And so they caught him, and they beat him, and they sent him away empty. So again he sent unto them another servant. At that time they cast stones and wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another. Him they killed, and many others beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. So they took him, they killed him, and they cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen, and will give the vineyard unto others. And have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, it is become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. And they left him and went their way. Heavenly Father, bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this morning we want to... <clears throat> Divide this passage up into three subjects of uh, discussion. Uh, some will be quite brief. The setting for the parable. We also want to deal with the story in the parable. That's what was been a big part of our time. And conclude with the truth of the parable. And get into a little bit of prophecy as it relates to our day and time. Now the setting is quite simple. 
Jesus Christ is speaking here concerning a man that bought a large portion of land. He went in and cultivated the land and put furrows down for, uh, for uh, the uh, irrigation. He digged trenches and he put a hedge around about it and built fences. And uh, he planted a vineyard and put a large tower there. And then he hired uh, servants uh, that he calls husbandmen. These would be farmers uh, to farm the land. And as the vineyard and the vines grew and eventually in time they would give fruit. After a certain time, then he sent his servants to to receive uh, whatever profits, whatever uh, <clears throat> the uh, vineyards was able to produce. And so as he sent his servants, uh, they didn't want to pay uh, their share uh, of, uh, or pay uh, to the owner his share of uh, the, the profits that he had earned. They wanted to keep it for themselves. And so they did not want to give up any any of the value. They didn't want to give up anything uh, to the owner. And so they figured if they just kill his servants, uh, eventually he would leave them alone and it would all be theirs. And so Jesus Christ is giving this parable in uh, illustration of what's going on in the nation of Israel. As we understand from the Word of God, as we would read in Isaiah, as you would read in Psalms, as we also read over in Jeremiah and throughout the Gospels, uh, also in Hosea, the Bible is very clear that the vineyard is a picture of Israel. One interesting verse of Scripture is found in Hosea chapter 10, beginning with verse number 1, where he declares that Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself according to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the alders according to the goodness of his land, and they have made uh, goodly images, but their heart is divided now, they be found faulty. And he shall break down their alders, and he shall spoil their images. And also we see over in Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning with verse number 20, the Lord declares, For of old time I have broken the yoke and burst the bands, and thou saidest, I will transgress, when upon every high hill and under every green tree thou wanderest playing the harlot. Yet I have planted thee a noble vine, holy, a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? And then as we read on, we get into our lesson. We'll see a little more about this. But it's quite obvious, as we just looked at some of these scriptures, that he's in reference to the nation of Israel. We read in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. However, God's pleasant plant has become corrupted. The people that God loved, the people God had nourished, the Lord had brought about their nativity, the Lord had uh, cradled them, and uh, he had uh, cared for them, and he had raised them and gave them wealth and put jewelry upon them. 
but they turned from the Lord and they turned unto idols. And so <clears throat> the Bible gives the prophecy of all of this as it unfolds in God's anger and God's judgment against them. As we saw in Jeremiah 2 and verse number 21 earlier, I planted thee a noble vine, but they became a degenerate plant. And just something about sin, I can't understand what it is about the people of God. They, they don't go from, from good to gooder, they go from good to worse. We see that in the church today. The church has degraded to the place to where Jesus Christ is no longer in the church. He's outside of the church, and he's knocking, and he's seeking to come in. And we see that in so many of our churches today. The word of God has been thrown out. The Lord Jesus Christ has been thrown out. The blood that is efficacious and redeeming and cleansing us from all of our sins has been thrown out. They don't want it in their hymnals. Uh, they don't want it in their Bibles. And so <clears throat> they've completely thrown out Christianity and come up with a whole new form of what they call Christianity. And so we find very clearly here that the vine is in representative of uh, God's chosen people, Israel. And the Word of God makes it very clear that because they have turned from the Lord, as we see in places like Psalms uh, 80, beginning with verse number 6 through verse number 16. As we give special attention to verse number 16, God says, I'm going to burn them with fire and I'm going to cut them down. Jesus Christ said the same thing about the church over in the Gospel of John chapter 15. If we uh, no longer want to be connected to the vine as branches, and then we will be cut off and burn. And we're seeing that happening today with so many so-called Christian churches. God has just simply cut them off. The true church is going to be raptured out of this world. And they're going to be cast into the furnace. And they are going to be cut down and burn. It's very obvious that as we look to the parable, the owner that God is speaking about is himself. The owner is God. Again, we read in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse number 19, the Lord says, Thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God. God has made it very clear. In Isaiah 5 and verse number 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. It's the Lord's vineyard, and the vineyard is Israel. God is the owner, and they have forsaken the Lord thy God. He says that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. For of old time I have broken thy yoke, I have burst thy bands, I have said I will not transgress. When upon every high hill and under every green tree thou hast wandered playing the harlot, yet I had planted thee a noble vine. Oh, yes, Lord, we're going to serve you. Oh, yes, Lord, we're going to be faithful to you. Oh, yes, Lord will not deny you. God has been good to us, and we're certainly going to serve God. We see so much of that going on in Christianity today. We make pledges, we make promises, and then we drift away from the Lord. The Lord expected the vineyard to put forth 
the fruit of faithfulness. The fruit of faithfulness is the faithfulness to God. We read over in Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 1 through 6, that it was the faithfulness that God wanted to see from his own people. This is the fruit that God wanted to see from them. It's the fruit that God wants to see from us. He wants us to be faithful. We read in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, Sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he has fenced it. He has gathered the stones thereof. He has planted it with the choicest of vines and had built a tire in the midst of it and has made the winepress therein and has looked that it should bring forth grapes. But it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard, what could you have done more to my vineyard that I have not done to it? Wherefore, when I looked that I should see and that it would bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And now go to, and I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. It will be broken down. The walls thereof shall be trodden down. And I will lay hold waste of it. It shall not be pruned nor digged. And there shall come up briars and thorns. And I also will command the clouds that they rain no more rain upon it. And it sounds like America and what we're going through right now, especially here in California with drought. And yet Christians are refusing to pray. Christians on the, I'm not speaking about you. Someone says speak for yourself. Well, I'm speaking for all the liberals out there, you know, we, if, if they get their hearts right with God and we could see revival within the Christian realm of uh, this great nation of ours, perhaps America could come back to a place of righteousness. But God's people are unfaithful and they have turned away from the Lord and churches are no longer being attended in their services. Uh, the called out assembly is no longer coming out. They're staying at home. They're sitting in front of their television sets, drinking their coffee and watching five minutes of a live stream program. Thank you for watching, by the way, for you that still want to stay at home. Afraid of COVID, but not afraid of God. You know, that's where we're at right now. And the news media keeps playing, uh, you know, on this narrative. Uh, that we're in an epidemic, and, and it's more than an epidemic, it's a pandemic, and people are dying by the hundreds, and the death toll has increased by 15% so far this year because of the Delta variant, and uh, the, the unvaccinated people are infecting the vaccinated people, and the vaccinated people that have received the vaccines are getting sick from the unvaccinated. So Now what happens when everyone is vaccinated and still people die? We'll blame it on something else. And people are buying into the lie, and they're more fearful of man than of God. And we're seeing Christianity just slowly drifting away from the Lord, and fewer and fewer churches are, <clears throat> are now keeping their doors open. They're closing their doors. They're disbanding all across the country. Missionaries. 
are having trouble getting support because the churches are no longer assembling and the funds are no longer coming in. So God has brought a drought. So how did Israel allow this to happen? Well, that's a good question. How did they get to that place? To where God had brought a drought upon them. To where they were producing wild grapes and sour grapes rather than the faithfulness of that which is pleasing unto the Lord. Well, they got there because they were, they were killing the prophets. They were killing the messengers. Uh, they wanted to do everything that they could humbly do to just void them out. And so that's where we're at today. You know, we're moving toward a, re a great reset. And part of that great reset is to shut up those that go against the narrative of what they want to do. And so <clears throat> they want to cancel out the preacher. They want to cancel out the word of God as they wanted to cancel out Jesus Christ. And you can't do that. Greater is he that's in us and he that's in the world. You're not going to cancel out God. But somehow they got the idea that they can. That's how stupid they are. And there are some that are falling right into it. They're trying to divide us. They're trying to divide us over the vaccine. I don't care if you want to get the vaccine. Get the vaccine. That's between you and the Lord. If I choose not to get it, don't be upset with me. If I have a different idea about it, that's okay. I may not be delusional in time. We may find out. But we're living in unusual days, and I tell you, the devil's doing everything that he can to divide the churches. Then the media is creating all this division, all this anger out there, and the preachers that are standing up and proclaiming the truth and revealing things that we need to know, they want to shut them up, they want to shut us up. And so they start off by just beating them, and then they end up killing them. You see, that's what Israel had done to their prophets. We read over in Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning with verse number 25. I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily, rising up early in the morning, sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their necks. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore, thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken to thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. Do we see that today in America? Truth is is perish. We're seeing that all across America today. As we move toward this so-called great reset. You know, they want to shut up the parents of these children that are in public school by telling the children, don't you listen to these radical parents. These parents, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, they're, they're nothing but a bunch of fanatical Christians that think that there's a God in heaven that created everything. Science proves that that's not so. Don't you understand that you were nothing more than a single cell that one day wiggled on the, on the ocean shores and, and finally was able to climb a tree and your tail broke off and now you're a man? Don't you understand that? 
You need to listen to us. Stop listening to the Bible. There's no divine creator out there. And so all of this stuff about Christianity, it makes no sense. We got a better doctrine. It's called humanism. With humanism and socialism, we're going to reset this world. We're going to get rid of all this crazy dogma that they're teaching, this ideology that they're teaching. And uh, we got a whole new philosophy, a whole new doctrine. It's called humanity. It's called humanism. And it's great. You need to trust in man. If you're going to worship anyone, worship man. He is your Savior. That just goes in line with Romans chapter 1, does it not? And that's where we're at today. And we we see young people. You notice when having all these rides and everything, it's mostly the young people standing up and screaming into the faces of those in authority. They were tearing down our icons. Because, you know, in academia, that's what they have been taught. And Christians continue to send their children off to these places of academia where they're being taught this kind of philosophy. We no longer, you know, Bible college. You don't want to send them there. Christian schools, you know, I'm not going to send them there. I, get, I have to pay for that. The government will pay for my children's education if I send them to a public school. And so that's what they're doing. And boy, I tell you, when they have your children, they have your children six hours a day, five days a week. They're going to indoctrinate them. And then when they go home, they got two hours of, of indoctrination that they have to do called schoolwork. And the parents, you know, they expect Christianity and the church to change their minds by bringing them to Sunday school for 45 minutes a week. And you expect our children to turn out right? No wonder 90% of all children, by the time they reach adulthood, drop out of church that are raised in public schools. And so they kill the prophets. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their mouths. So the husbandmen, who are they opposing? Well, they're opposing God. And we find these servants today and the media and everyone else out there speaks against Christianity and the Word of God. They're not opposing you. They're opposing God. The Word of God makes that very clear. Representing the Sanhedrin here is what Jesus Christ was speaking to. You see, these men, they were all pumped up with pride and arrogance. Uh, They weren't ready to give up their authority. They weren't ready to give up their seat. They weren't ready to give up their power. To them, Jesus Christ was an imposter. They weren't willing to look into the Word of God and to dig and find out if truly He is the Christ. They weren't concerned about the miracles that He was doing as the credentials as to who He is. I mean, has any other man ever walked on water? Has any other man ever given sight to the blind? Has any other man healed the lepers and, and raised the dead? Has any other man done what he had done? All these miracles prove who he truly is. And yet they were simply blinded to it. They believed, well, this is all the work of Beelzebub. It's not the work of God. It's the work of devils. Jesus Christ had reason with him. Well, why would the devil work against himself? Yet nothing seemed to sink in. Why? Because their hearts were hardened. Their stiffs were their necks were stiff with rebellion, and therefore they were under judicial blindness. And we see the same thing happening today in America. <clears throat> God help us. The apostle, or not the apostle, but 
this young deacon by the name of Stephen stood up after Christ was crucified and he continued to tell them, why is it that you continue to resist? They resist the word of God. They resist the prophets of God. They resist the Lord Jesus Christ. They resist the message of the Heavenly Father. Now the Holy Spirit is trying to pierce their hearts and now they're resisting him. And he asked, why is it that you always resist? He finally says in verse number 51 of Acts chapter 7, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have you not? Your fathers persecuted and they have slain. Which showed before of the coming of the just one, whom ye have now, the betrayers and the murders thereof. And so what did they do with Stephen for speaking out? They stoned him. You know, they just want to shut you up. And the Holy Spirit's working in the hearts of people today. And God's people, Christians are not listening. We've become rebellious and we're no longer sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We're more sensitive uh, to the news media and to the journalists and and to their narratives, and calling us all liars, and calling us delusional, as the truths come out, as doctors, and scientists, and other professional people all across the country, and around the world, are standing up and saying, something's wrong. There's some things going on, we don't understand, we want some answers. Asking simple questions like, what's in the vaccine? Doctors and scientists are asking. What's going on? We don't see the real evidence of a pandemic. What's going on? These are what? Professional? We're not talking about delusional people. We're talking about people who head over organizations of clinics and medical research centers, science labs, and so forth. Something's going on. Well, I tell you what's going on. You can say, well, the preacher, you're delusional, but I'm, we're living in the day of the shadow of the great tribulation period. You know, <clears throat> come in a few weeks, you're going to start seeing Merry Christmas signs and Christmas trees and the jingling of Christmas. Well, <clears throat> when you see that, you know that Thanksgiving is imminent, right? You may not know exactly what day Thanksgiving is going to come. On what Thursday? Well, I think it's the last Thursday of November. But I know Christmas comes on November the, or December the 25th. So that means that Thanksgiving's got to be right around the corner. Well, when you see all the tribulation signs out there, you know that we're going to go out pretty soon. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be translated. In a moment, changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So we see what's going on. And we've heard it said before, we've never seen nothing like this before. Well, anyway, so they oppose God. They want to stone the prophets. They want to cancel them out. So we see the same thing today. But what is the ultimate rejection? The son. So he said, I'll send my son. 
the creator of heaven and earth. I'll give to him all the credentials so that they will know that he's my son. So the heavenly father sent his son. He came with all the credentials. All the scriptural fulfillments that were prophesied about where he would be born, how he would be born, how they would set out to kill him. All of those things were fulfilled, but no one in the Sanhedrin cared to really look into it except for a couple. The rest of them, they were all out to kill him. And they just figured, well, we'll do away with this. And so what did they do? They killed the Son of God. The ultimate rejection. By killing the Son of God, they set out to kill God. But by the way, you don't kill God. He just put, put his flesh to death that he willingly chose to be incarnate in so that he could go to a cross and through that flesh provide redemption for you and for me. And so this was marvelous in the eyes of God. And God knew what was in the hearts of man and God knew what they would do and God said, well, this is the way I have planned it out. I'm going to allow man by his own rebellion, by his own stubborn and stiff-necked and hateful will against me to put my son to death so my son can be the redeemer for the sins of the whole world. Not only for the sins of the whole world, but for those that are putting him on the cross. And don't get angry with them because you put him there too through your sins and through your rebellion. And so this is why it was marvelous in his sight. It's interesting that Jesus refers to him as the beloved son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's twice in scripture that God from heaven let everyone know this is my beloved son. My well-beloved son. At the baptism of the Lord Jesus, he said, Thou art my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Amen. At Mount Transfiguration, he said unto Peter, James, and John, This is my well-beloved son. Hear you him. But we find today that most don't want to hear him. We turn our hearts away from him. We refuse to hear the Spirit of Christ beckons us to spend time with our Savior. But so many Christians are not able to do that because they're so busy. And then we, we, we have time for CNN News. Or maybe you're more fundamental than that. You, you go to Fox News. You have time for Fox News. You have time for... <clears throat> What's the new one there that, you know, is supposed to be better than Fonts? Newsmax. But we don't have time for the news out of the Word of God. We can sit in front of the television and watch it for hours on end, but we're too busy for the Bible. We're too busy for prayer. We're too busy uh, to be in church. Uh, we can let me drop in for one hour on Sunday morning, but forget Sunday night and forget Wednesday night. That's totally out of the question. Every once in a while, we might bow our heads and say grace over our sandwich. But that's about as much prayer as the average Christian and church and Bible reading they ever get. We wonder why there's no revival. This is his beloved son. 
He came into this world. He died for you. He was buried. He rose again for you. He's in heaven preparing a place for you. He's wrote, he's, he has written to you a love letter. There are things that he wants you to know about him and things that he would have you to do. And he needs you to spend time with him. In closing, the truth of the parable. Parables were for the purpose of illustrating a truth. And the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to illustrate here is what the builders have rejected is the chief cornerstone. And to those that do not reject him, it is the pathway to salvation because he is our salvation. And those who reject him, it is a stumbling block unto salvation. The stone, as the chief headstone or cornerstone, is the stone that holds the building together. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, the building tumbles and crumbles and falls apart. It is the stone that connected the building. And so if Jesus Christ is not central to the building, the building falls, the church falls. When Christ is not central in the church, it's just going to crumble and fall apart. If Christ is not central in the building of your home, it's going to crumble and fall apart. If Christ is not central to your life as the headstone of your life, then your life will crumble and fall apart as far as God is concerned. You understand the message? What Jesus Christ is getting across, he's saying to the vineyard, he's saying to the nation of Israel, if you don't understand that I am central to Israel, I am the chief cornerstone, I am the head, and if you don't allow me to be the head, then Israel as a nation will no longer continue to be built and grow, but it'll fall apart and it'll be crumbled and it'll go to destruction. And that's exactly what happened 70 years later because they rejected the headstone. General Titus came in and the nation was destroyed and the people were scattered. Well, that doesn't really apply to me. Yes, it does. It sure does. You say, well, preacher, if it applies to me, can you show me in Scripture where it does? Well, I'm glad you asked. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read a few verses of Scripture there. The stone of stumbling, the rock of offense, is the Word of God. And the Word is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And without the Word of God, there is nothing because it was through the Word of God that all things were created. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And if we reject the Word of God, then there is no salvation for you. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse number 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into the marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. 
which had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the souls, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now what's interesting when you look at, we didn't take time to read the entire chapter, but when you go to verse number one, it gets right into the fact of who Jesus is. He is the headstone, he is the cornerstone, and our lives are built upon him. And in the building of God, we have been made priests and kings over that building because we have put our faith in him. We see that again over in Ephesians chapter 2 as we get to the latter part of that verse. We're all being built and framed together in a building and that building is Christ. And one day when the building is complete, he's going to come. And there's going to be a day of visitation. As we understand the day of visitation as you see it there in verse number 12 is in reference to the day of judgment. And there will be two days of judgment. There will be the judgment for the saints and the judgment for the lost. Amen. And in their day of visitation, they're going to use every excuse why they didn't receive the Lord. And he's going to say, but wait a minute, I gave you these people. They proclaimed my word. They talked about me. But I want you to understand that when they preached Jesus and you refused him, that was your stumbling block that has led you into hell. Are we prepared for that day of visitation? Are we living for the Lord? Are we, are, are, do we have the mindset that we're going to stay faithful unto God no matter what? We're getting very close to that day. Amen. The Bible makes it very clear that there are going to be all kinds of issues out there that want to strangle us and pull us down and choke us out that would keep us from the vine. As we understand over in the Gospel of John chapter 15 that as branches we need to be connected to the vine. If we're not connected to the vine then we're going to be unfruitful. Those that are not connected to the vine they do not produce fruit. We talked about last week the fruit that needs to be produced within your life. One of the things that God puts within us is the fruit of faithfulness, faithfulness in His love, faithfulness in forgiveness, faithfulness in declaring the righteousness of Christ and the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ to others, faithfulness to separate ourselves from those things that would cause us to be choked out and to go into a world of iniquity where we would be pruned and cut back. Faithfulness to the Lord in all areas of our walk in Christian life. And in these days that we live, if there's ever ever been a time where we need to be drawn closer to the Lord at the twilight of His coming, it is now. I just read something some time back ago about the four building blocks that are used for the Great Reset. Um, how many of you, I'm, I'm sure most of you have heard talk about the Great Reset, Amen. Can you give me a high five or something if you know something about the Great Reset? Let me just share with you real quickly what the, what the building blocks. There are four blocks in building the Great Reset. Number one, to change the mindset. 
And academia has been working for a long time to change the mindset. And they're trying their best to change our mindset based on everything concerning us and our creator and this earth. And they're doing a good job with it. And we have young people today, their mindset is not to look to the Savior, not look to Almighty God, but to look to Mother Earth. So we got to figure out how we can save this planet when God's going to burn it up. It does not make any sense for Christians. Oh, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm all for saving Mother Earth. And so they got to create the right kind of mindset. And that, boy, we could get into a lot of discussion on what, where they want to go with the mindset. You know, cancel culture and all of that goes along with that. Oh, I tell you, you know, the racial divide, the gender equality and all of that is in the mindset. They are working and I tell you, we, we got this weird new mindset out there. Do we not? And are they doing a good job with it? You know, academia... They're putting out politicians and they're being elected into the office of both Republicans and Democrats and independents. Uh, I mean, they're out there. We got them there. In this great mindset academia, they're making sure they get them in the media and there are new journalists out there. They're the NEA and all of them. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Secondly, they want to create a new metric system of measuring the gross distribution of products where we measure wealth. And they want to measure wealth not based upon distribution of products, but wealth based upon the influx of people that are coming into this country. That's where the wealth is. The wealth is an investment in people. Open the doors and let the floodgates of uh, the borders of America allow them to come in because people are our greatest asset. And true it is. <laughs> in all honesty, people are the greatest asset. But you can see where we're going with that. Yes. You see, there's an agenda going on out there. And you bring them in. That put the value in the people. This, the third thing that they want to do is change the dollar to digital currency so that they can create more of an equality of wealth among the people so that they can govern that wealth and see where that wealth is going and see who holds that wealth and how that wealth is being distributed and know everything about how you spend what wealth you have and it cannot been done with it will not be done with cash it can only be done through digital currency and we don't know we may wake up very soon you'll find out that we are we have moved into digital currency and you will be assigned a number through your social security number and you will instruct your bank with that number and whatever funds you have, it will become digital. Many of us, I, I never carry cash around. I just lost my old Bank of America card and they sent me a new card and I only got that little chip there and all I got to do is just tap it. And you know, I don't have to put it in, just tap it, tap it, tap it. Go to the grocery store, tap it. 
Go to the gas station, tap it. Pretty soon, tap it, tap it. Can you, you see it coming? It's coming. The fourth building block, and we can thank uh, Elon Musk for this, is that they want to connect us globally to a network of satellites. So there's nowhere in the world where we're no longer connected. Global connection. And Elon Musk is putting those satellites up there by the hundreds. I believe it's estimated 1,500 satellites he wants to get up there. So wherever you are with the chip, you'll be able, you know, here we go. We're living in the last days, folks. But even greater than that, keep your eyes on Israel. I'm telling you, there's a day of visitation coming. We're all going to stand before the Lord. Have we been faithful as vines to be connected or as branches to be connected to the vine? Christ is the vine. We are the branches. And we connect with him through his word. Jesus made it very clear in John 15 verse number 6. You are clean through the word. Are you spending time with Jesus with every head bowed? I heard a